once, there was an old mask maker, the last master of a magical trade. You're in my realm, yes. I know all about the whispering voices trapped in the towers. Ignore them. Keep your mind on your apprenticeship. Reach the other two towers. Speak to my siblings. Learn the truth. And do not trust the king. Don't we all wear a mask of some sort or another? Some you can see, most you cannot. Today I'm not wearing one, as I'm likely to muffle my voice if I were to do so. I am Chris O'Regan, and I am the host of issue 514 of Cane and Rinse, a podcast you've chosen to listen to. Thanks. Joining me in this masquerade, there's a trend here, you uh, it's uh, <laughs> Jesse Fuchs. Hello. James Carter. Hello there. And John Salmon. Hello. And we're here to talk about Mask Maker. And uh, it's a, I'll try to summarise it here. It's basically a VR only puzzle adventure game that transports players into another world after they don a mask that they make in a workshop as they become the mask maker or a mask maker. Ooh, serious. But <laughs> <laughs> now it's um it was made by uh Inner Space VR, based in Paris, France. And their previous game was A Fisherman's Tale, which is much lauded VR title. They had a very tactile approach, interacting with the environment and also simultaneous interaction with the same character or three people at the same time. That was the that was this big hook, pun intended. <laughs> so the game director is Balthazar Audrey. I might pronounce those awful, but he appeared on a previous episode of The Sausage Factory. Episode 336, no less. And game designer is Tamino, um Studio and Samuel Le Poil. Um Game designer assistant is uh, Margot Peloque. And stories by Balthazar and Robert Morgan. And written by Robert Morgan. And the executive producer is Richard Turco. The lead developer is Julia Nacor. And developers Justine Delamigne, Pierre Waum. Sophia Rodmont and Sandy Lipap. My pronunciation French is terrible. And uh, the lead designer is Fabrice Gaston. Now the voice acting, wow. The voice acting, everyone, was by one person. <laughs> Which I still can't fathom, but we'll delve into that later. But there's yeah, Paul Bandy. Who, by the way, he's featured in a lot of Quantic Dream games. <laughs> <laughs> and has been working in video game uh, acting since 1995, which is uh, so he's quite a quite a veteran. Uh, it's uh, an Unreal Engine game, plastered all over the, it's, it, and it really shows. And it's released on Steam VR and PlayStation VR on the 20th of April, 2021. So almost a year to the day that uh, we are now recording this show. Uh, reviews, about 125 Steam reviews, and it's resulting very positive. Uh, and a 74-point Metacritic score. 
which is quite uh, respectable and I think reflective of the game itself, in my in, in my opinion. Couldn't find any records of sales, I'm afraid, because of the nature of the niche nature of the title. Um, the Steam reviews are uh, both lifetime and recent reviews are very positive, uh, and the user reviews are basically Steam seventy five percent, and like I said, the critic seventy four percent. So, yeah, pretty good. So, let's uh, ask histories then. Some are going to be longer than others. It's a very young game; it's only a year old. So, Jesse, tell us what's your uh, history with uh, Mask Maker? Uh. I saw it on the list. I don't know actually even how I knew to put a yellow or a green light because I hadn't heard of it, but I do. Anything that's a VR, uh, you know, something you can play on PSVR, I'll, I'm up for uh, if Lillian wants to assign me to it. And maybe at some point I'd, I'd heard the Fisherman's Tale people uh, had put out another game. That was a game I had enjoyed. Uh, but honestly, it, uh, I kind of deliberately kept myself blank once um, I was put on this show because I was like, well, I might as well kind of lean into my ignorance here. Um, so I really did go into it knowing nothing beyond same studio as A Fisherman's Tale, assumably somewhere in the same realm of, you know, a narrative puzzle game. Okay. Yeah, it's, it does have like the developers as history and The Fisherman's Tale is kind of lauded as a as a very innovative and important VR game. James, what about you? What's your history with uh, Mask Maker? Uh, a little bit similar in that, um, so I have or had uh, two VR headsets. I've only got an Oculus Quest at the moment. I have previously had a PlayStation VR um, that I have now passed on into someone else's hands. Um, and so I'd heard of Fisherman's Tale, never played it, and Mask Maker, until you suggested it for uh, Kane and Rince, I'd, I wasn't aware of the game, but once I looked at it, I immediately saw the sort of um, box art. It's a weird thing for digital game, the cover art, that I guess is a better description. Um, I definitely recognize it, so I've seen it on kind of store pages and that kind of thing. Um, but wasn't really aware of, too much of what it was. Uh, I'm always up for trying a, a VR game. It's why I've got the headset. Um, so yeah, was happy to uh, play this for this recording. Um, Elden Ring being here means that I've c kind of uh, had my gaming time subsumed by that. Uh, but on top of that, the past uh, week I had to have a, a tooth pulled and I've had quite a lot of pain. So I didn't really fancy strapping something quite tightly to my face when my face was in some amount of discomfort, so I kind of left it as late as I could, and this morning at 7 o'clock, got up and started uh, playing this game. Um, using a Quest headset, although it's not available for Quest, so I used uh, a link cable to my PC, and played it via the Oculus Store there, which is um, quite easy, actually, to, to do. It's not 100% intuitive, but once you get used to your headset having two home pages, you can kind of navigate through that way. Um, so yeah, played it all in not one sitting, a couple of sittings today, um, and coming to this straight off the back of having finished it, uh, four hours ago or so. Um, so yeah, that's my, um, history. Nice and fresh in the mind. Mm, good. Absolutely. Well, what about you, John? What's your, what's your uh, yeah, I'm kind of halfway between, um, both Jesse and James or possibly just completely overlapping with them. But I think the first time... I was aware of Mask Maker at all was when we were pitching um, 
pitching our ideas for shows for this volume to Leon around Christmas time, I guess it probably was. I can't remember what exactly happened with it, but I kind of just remember thinking, well, if it's an interesting uh, enough game that Chris is recommending it, and I have the capability of playing it, then I probably should sign up for it. It's, it's kind of the same that um, I'm sure people have heard me talking about on the, the shows that we've done before that Jesse's picked, where it, these sort of obtuse 80s games that uh, I'd never heard of. And it's like, well, the person who's recommending this has a very high uh, pedigree of knowledge about these things. And I, I'm assuming that uh, the game will be worth playing if, if it's being recommended. So I normally like to prepare quite early, but with Mask Maker, I think my, my preparation involved basically like looking at a trailer to see exactly what type of game it was to try and figure out if it would even be realistically possible for me to play, like with the, the setup I'm in at the moment. If this was Beat Saber or, or a fighting game or something, I just I've not got the space for it right at this time. So I remember watching a trailer and I looked up the um the times on how long to beat to see how long it was roughly gonna take. And thanks to that showing four to six hours, I think, for various levels of completion. So yeah, I kind of did the same as James. I got got up quite early, made some coffee, and I've just spent an hour then had a little break, then another hour, went out, had another hour. And yeah, I've I've only also only finished it a few hours ago. So yeah, all all very fresh and ready to discuss things. So my own my own uh, history. I'm a host of the Sausage Factory, the sister podcast to this, and I regularly get press releases on a well, I say daily basis, more like a minute basis. <laughs> and uh, I have to desperately filtered through the ones that I find interesting, the ones I find interesting, I reach out. Some of them bite, some of them don't. And this one bit. And uh, because I really loved the idea, the concept of it, you putting on a mask and then just actually reaching out and just with your hands and then putting on the mask in front of the mask you're already wearing to see the... It's just very meta. <laughs> and I thought this, this is both uh, charming and, and wonderful, wondrous looking. I really love the visuals of it. I thought, yeah, this is good. And uh, I was also dabbling with the old uh, Oculus linking and stuff like that. I sorted it all out and I was getting very excited by after playing Half-Life Alex and getting all um, sort of enthusiastic for this platform, this new platform that I had now presented to me because I often say Oculus Quest 2 uh, is actually three platforms in one, which we'll talk about later. But um, it's, uh, and one, provided you have that link cable, it is extraordinary piece of kit and this gave me a window into playing uh, mask maker because when it's originally they were like pushing the steam vr because it was easier and um that's really for me i sort of delved into it played it through interviewed the developer uh, on the sausage factory uh it's episode 336 i believe is um is when it was released um, so yeah, three three six. Uh, if you can check that out, if you want to listen to how the game was made and what they and uh, I asked pretty surface level questions because I had to because that's the nature of the show. But but I, I still I did play it again today uh, and and a bit yesterday as well at the time of recording uh, just to remind myself of what uh, what was uh, so I found so uh, extraordinary and so interesting led me. Out of all the thousands, tens of thousands of video games I could have chosen <laughs> for 2022, 
I chose, well, for volume 11, I should say, I chose this one. So let's talk about the setting, which is odd in Mars Waker because it doesn't tell you when it's set, does it? No. It implies some things. It could be sent now. We could be set in the late 1800s. You know what I mean? It's like... Yeah, definitely, yeah. It could be any time, really, because the, the clothing implies that it, it's not current, really. But it could be. It's, it's, it's difficult because most of the people you see are, are a shadow or, in, or are, aren't really people at all. They're just mannequins, really. But yeah. before we delve into that, I've realised I've made a bit of a mission is that we are going to be spoilerific on this show. We always are. And from here on in, we are going to be talking about content about the game. Uh, a lot of it is very spoilery. So we don't know when it was really set, but I get the sort of the... It feels like a fairy tale, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, very much. I think the other thing is there are certain things about when it's set. You're absolutely right. The costumes people are wearing and the outfits people are wearing it's set in a kind of there's a sense that where the shop is even when you're in the the real world if we want to call it that it's a town that's built around uh the notion of a carnival so any costume you see any outfit you see could well be part of a masquerade costume so therefore that makes it more difficult again to tell but when you're walking right at the beginning of the game you're walking sort of through streets towards a shop there's nothing electronic for example um it's very much like um old oil lamps or gas lamp type uh, lamps mm. on the streets lots of wood and stone and a lot of stuff about this game i think actually um gives it a kind of uh there's a there's a vagueness that cut, that brings about a universality to this story um and a fairy tale is a perfect example of that where whenever you are experiencing this the story of a fairy tale it can still apply to you even if you don't have a great sense of how the time these people are living relates directly to, to you, you, you can still uh, experience the story separated from that kind of that kind of thing. Yeah. There's also a sense of other sort of, a, sort of storytelling, mythology, mm. myths, got Greek myths, definitely, um, and tragedies, um, Shakespearean tragedy and, and that kind of thing that's definitely in, baked in to the the game that's that's that sort of that kind of style and there's definitely a sense of um foreboding when you walk into that shop because you you see two people arguing because you the game starts on a cobbled street a poorly lit cobbled street and uh you you walk around and you see this shop and you see these two people arguing and then as you open the door there's no one there. In fact, that argument probably took took place many 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 years before you even came anywhere close to the shop. It's all very peculiar. And then when you go into the shop, they hear these voices and it's all really quite creepy. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah definitely. VR adds to that as well, of course. It does. It does. But. That's my view on it. It's just a, a a setup for some kind of like big grandiose storytelling experience. That it's, I think it's a wonderful opening, um, uh, but um, it doesn't really give you much clues as to what you what you're in for, really. 
It definitely sets the tone correctly, though, because it as yes. within five minutes, I was like, I don't know. I was trying to think of even what I would call this genre, because I don't think it exactly has a name. And I don't think Neil Gaiman is that central to it, ultimately, because it's very long. But it's it is that Neil Gaiman-y, dark whimsy, uh, maybe Stephen Milhauser and Kelly Link in more uh, literary realms. But this kind of... Uh, I don't know. Did anyone play the PS3 game Puppeteer? It didn't, but I know I know of it. Yeah, yeah. I know of it, but I didn't play it. No. Uh, I mean, there's sort of a French-German animation, clockwork. You know, interesting kind of the, yeah, the dark whimsy of clockwork and 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 other sorts of, uh, you know, uh, artifice. Mm, I think that's that's where a little bit of the creepiness comes from it as well, because there is an awful lot of horror and. Maybe not even intentional horror, but um, certainly sort of that that creepiness or that dread, or uh, maybe even like ex- um, existential horror that comes out of something that uh, I mean, VR does it in spades with tons of games, and it, it kind of works out as being, I guess, like a perfect uh, storm for doing like silly jump scary type stuff, but. Uh, there's, I mean, just an inherent creepiness that for me goes all the way back to uh, childhood and seeing something like a Pinocchio that's not really s- supposed to be scary, but it definitely is. Uh, well, I don't know, maybe it is supposed to be scary. It's definitely something that the various scenes in that stuck with me for a long time. And that that very, um, I don't know, I guess the comparison comes from the uh, like the workshop and the the wooden faces and things and the um there's there's a thing here with maybe i'm getting ahead of ourselves but it's all right. uh, very very stark contrast between things being kind of dingy and a little bit creepy in the in the streets and then in the workshop and then the the absolute sort of colorful lands that you travel to and the the applying colors to the masks and things that to me comes off in this very stark contrast between like this is this is kind of the the creepiness that you're almost escaping from into this more fantasy type situation. So I think I think that that also invokes something like a Pinocchio or a various um, old animation and Disney and things like that that have the the flip side between being nice and colourful but also having like a sinister tint behind them. Yeah, but it's also it's also lifeless ish we'll talk about that in a moment but although yeah yeah, i was about to say that there are sparing uses of rotoscoped actual people uh in the narrative that that really puncture (laughs) that and that is a lot of what i think gives it that kind of uncanniness um Mm. is is it does a good job of of manipulating i mean everything in vr is animated or you know artifice or whatever but like of of kind of putting that out front so with that when it breaks with it and there's some clearly like an actual rotoscoped human being dancing in front of your face. It really has a, a surreal impact. Yeah, and especially was... given... So you get glimpses of yourself wearing masks. Uh, often <laughs> yeah. when you go into each of the worlds, there's a, a part of a mirror where you can kind of see yourself. And clearly those characters, the, the mannequin... the uh, not mannequin char- Well, I guess they are. The... the um, the characters you embody when you go into each world um, stand stock still whenever you're not uh, 
inhabiting them. Um, but when you're moving around, obviously, due to technical constraints, budgetary constraints, there was no need to animate that in any particular way. So there is this kind of um, dehumanized aspect to the way that that character looks and those characters look because you never see them move. And then that's really, it is, a, yeah, it's really striking when you see a character all in shadow, but but for a mask start dancing in front of you, like quite mm. close to you sometimes as well, unnervingly so. Uh, yeah. there, there is a juxtaposition there between um, those clearly wonderful dancers that they got to do motion capture with uh, and fully animated in the game. And then the lack of animation elsewhere, which again, is something that the way something is animated or not has a big effect on how comfortable we can be with it. Um, because of, I guess, a similar to an Uncanny Valley type thing. You know, if something's mm. animated realistically, it needs to be spot on like the dancer dancers are. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, it can seem quite unnerving. Right, and those are 3D silhouettes. So it, it also... Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very carefully, right. Let's delve into the loop. Because there is one. There is a play loop. Mm. And it's quite obvious very quickly. I think it does a fantastic job of onboarding the player. I really do think that it starts off with a lot of this stuff is very uh, odd. And we're going to have to start from the ground up, you know. Uh, and that's great. And, uh, and it starts off with you being, well, the, the centerpiece being you being thrown, you know, got to solve a puzzle first to actually progress the game. So you've got to open the door into the workshop, which is lovely. That visual indicator, like, see, look around you. In training the player to go, look, a rat just really absorb everything. What's unique? What can you see? Look, there are symbols. Oh, great. But there's some dials there, which you've just uncovered. Brilliant. Go you. Um, and uh, now just sort of those dials, and then all of a sudden this door opens, this ominous sort of like secret door, like... Batcave like door <laughs> slides open. Like, okay, this is good. Stairs mm -hmm. leading uh, to this place. Okay, let's do that. Okay, nothing. Okay, and it and you just even though there's no sense of danger to you, I still got the impression like there's someone going to kill me in a minute. Is it? Just, <laughs> um, but nothing ever does. But then you arrive, and in this beautiful workshop, I don't know about you guys, but I just yeah. thought it was just the warm red. Mm -hmm. The warm brownie red of colouring. Yeah, you can you can it's... smell the place when you walk in. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I really like. That's what drew me in. Like, oh, this is good. I'm liking this. And um, then there's the little like face mask or mannequin thing which you use to put the. So you you it starts off. I love the fact that you have to carve mm -hmm. the the mask, and you get the big lump of wood and you shove it onto this like this brace and then get the hammer and chisel and then chisel out this mask now this sounds quite ominous listener i get that you don't actually do finite little chisel because that that'd be another game entirely <laughs> <laughs> what would my mask have looked like <laughs> <laughs> it would have been nothing like the ones that you're meant to make but you just basically hammer it out and it comes out automatically but you do it about 10 15 times i love that bit what did yeah. you think I, I, I mean, this this filled me with dread a little bit because um, throughout the uh, the pandemic for the last couple of years, one of the things that I've started taking up and 
been sort of semi-interested in moving into in a more professional manner um, has been woodworking and joinery. Uh, and I've been doing um, an evening class for what this school year, which is back to September at this point. So the last six, six and a half months um, making joints without any nails or anything. It's basically sort of slotting pieces of wood into each other by creating, you know, the puzzle pieces on each side of them. And one of the things that I've, <laughs> I have come to despise doing this woodworking course is any any use of the chisel uh, <laughs> because it is it is a perfect tool for uh, ending up uh, ruining something that was previously going quite nicely when you were doing some sawing and you were making a nice little you know nice little U shape or something or a blob for the the opposite side of it and uh, you get to the point where it's like well the saw can't do this anymore so it's time to break out the chisel and we've got kits of about six different chisels and hammers and mallets and that is always the point when you're chiseling where you uh, inadvertently uh, go along the grain of the wood and the whole blooming thing splits in half yeah. <laughs> or, or something. You end up shaving far too much off and everything that looked perfect before suddenly all goes wrong during the chiseling stage. Um, and it, it didn't help. This was actually my first sticking point with the game where I had to stop the first night I was playing it uh, because I realized immediately on booting up the game that one of my um, move controllers, which to be fair, I bought them secondhand. They are the older PS3 models, which yeah. now use the older USB pre-micro one USB, that's yeah, now yeah. been in use. Mini, yeah, yeah, which I've got like two cables for, and <laughs> one of them works, but they only charge the, the moves if you plug them into the um, at the PS4 directly. I can't do it from a, a USB plug into a plug socket or anything. Wow. So. Um, I got to the point where I loaded the game. One of my hands was fine, and the other one was kind of flickering all over the place, <laughs> jumping around. There were two of them mirrored, like, next to each other. And I got through the first couple of bits of it. I thought, well, maybe this will be fine. Maybe I won't need to use two hands at any point. Maybe I can just get away with using the left hand. And I got to the chiseling phase, yeah. and I, no kidding... I must have spent about 20 minutes doing half of the first block, like the bottom half of it, with this hammer that was glitching all over the place and flying around the screen before I gave up. And I thought, right, well, it's it's Wednesday now. I might, if this if this move controller is actually broken, at least I've got a few days to source a new one. And in the end, it just turned out I went through a whole load of calibration and, and cleaned everything nicely and repositioned the camera and changed the lighting in the room and it, it luckily it's it's working okay so it's not yeah. actually broken but yeah. yeah this this point with this chiseling these two kind of like um real oh my god moments of oh no a chisel i i'm on half term at the moment i shouldn't be chiseling anything <laughs> even even in vr <laughs> and then this thing with the move controller but once it actually comes together um yeah as as you said um like this workshop because again doing the joiner and stuff i've got the smells of like sawing and yeah. sawdust and like using band saws until they get so hot that you scorch the wood as it goes through and the smell of that and the the kind of the oil and the um the stuff that we use to uh, sharpen the chisel blocks like it, yeah this was mixed with the the idea of like the fire and the paint and everything yeah i could walking into this workshop was like really um it was it's like a fantasy version of going to college on thursday evenings. 
but yeah i could i could um like really feel this environment and it's it's kind of organized in a way that fits my slightly obsessive compulsive personality um with i i really like the like the um the way that everything's set out and honestly like with the the chiseling stuff I was kind of surprised that you only have to do it a few times. It felt like the sort of thing that when you do it once and then almost immediately do it a second and a third time, it felt like this was going to be a constant that went throughout. So this whole nice set piece with this bench and the the tools there and the the, like yeah. the vice thing that holds your wood in place, it felt a little bit underused over the course of the game. Like I'm really surprised that you don't even get to carve the fourth, fifth, and sixth marks later on. No, you don't. That on. is weird. I didn't it, notice that. I yeah. instantly thought that they had that and then cut it because of uh, yeah. playtesting or something. Because the yeah. having played A Fisherman's Tale and, and having liked that game, but definitely having some difficulty with the controls in that and it being, you know, sort of taking me out a little bit, having to adjust things and 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 just that sense of their getting over their skis a little, both in sort of the ambition of the kind of tactile gameplay they're going for on the PS moves and the fact that they're not a triple A, like it's not blood and truth. They're not, they're not necessarily able to put that much, um, you know, just sheer raw manpower into uh, getting it exactly right. Um, mm. I was dreading it for a different reason, but I in fact found that they erred on the side of making things work so consistently that like the chiseling you know it did feel a little novelty right in the sense of it is not trying to whatever you do it's going to come out perfectly and good yeah right because for god's sakes don't with the level of <laughs> like granularity you get with a ps move controller like this yeah, isn't even this like is once you switch you're not you're not feeling the marbles no. in this thing uh, <laughs> no you know and yeah, I mean, and and overall, like that was an interesting thing. Of I, uh, you know, we'll talk about our summaries at the end. And one, of, but one reaction I had was like, I enjoyed this game. I don't think I loved it. But if two or three years from now there was a remaster when there are like haptic gloves or whatever, uh, I would totally replay this because I do feel mm -hmm. like I like what it's trying to do, and it does just have to compromise a lot. But it does that in ways that at least you know, at least it doesn't get in the way. Um, yeah, and a lot of these games, even games totally different. I remember playing a uh, Wander Song, which is kind of a rhythm music game, but not really. Like it has rhythm things that make you feel like you're playing that, but you're not going to fail them. Um, and it's just that interesting. Like if people are looking for, I don't know, tactile game like mechanics or things that involve skill, they I think they would be disappointed. But if they kind of enjoy the ritualistic aspect or like I really loved the organizational, you know, there's this big kind of literal drop down menu of masks uh, where yes. you pull this big lever like a slot machine and it just goes <laughs> foomp. Uh, and yeah. just, I always made sure to like put the right mask on with the right picture of the mask and. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Keep them organized. Definitely. Yeah, very satisfying. <laughs> I, I, I just want to sort of dive into that now and go back to the loop aspect. And thanks Jesse for, for teeing that up is the, Yes, you make your mask, you put it on, but where's your patterns? You need certain patterns because you have to make certain masks in order in a certain way, have certain things on them and certain colours in order to enter these worlds and certain take control of these mannequins in this other realm. And um, you do that by 
well, fixing the rotating men- menu thing, the big, like, they're up in the, like, in the loft. You don't see them because, you know, who looks up in video games? Just no one. And then you, when, oh, when you find, in a VR <laughs> game, absolutely. You, 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 you do look up, you're right. But you see these things dangling up in the sky, like, what are those? And then you sort of, like, you have to fix the cog in the thing, in the lever, and then you sort of, like, you just, and I closed the door, I didn't have to. But you do, and you yeah. close a little like door, and then so you pull it. And it really satisfying, like crunching sound as it kicks in, and all the work, the gears start whirring, and then there's these big things and two wonderful panels, both filled with information you you need to complete this game, to progress in this game. First, you have the patterns on little clipboards that are hung on that are hung on the, uh, on, the on the door frame. And you take these clipboards. And you put them on over the, 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 the easel, as I call it, over there, with a little like, mask thing. And you use that as a, as a pattern to, to paint your thing and to put things onto them. I keep on mentioning those, but there's, there's things you need to forage for. In fact, foraging is a big thing. Big thing in, in Mask Maker. Yeah. In that these realms, they have these items. And when you immediately, when you find them, you only need one. Just one. One of a certain type and colour. Oh, boy. <laughs> Just one. And then once you get them, you've got infinite amount of them. So there's that bit of conceit, like, because it's a magical workshop after all. It's magical. So they, they lean into that. It's like there's some, there's some otherworldliness going on here. And I love the racks. Yeah. The racks of little you know, pigeonhole racks of yeah. all the stuff that you're going to get. Proper apothecary you... style uh, sort yeah. of cubby holes with each dis- little... each item on its own little display pedestal. Um, yes. Yeah, it's really, really nicely done. Really nicely done. And uh, you have these little like shadow images, like outlines of what these items are. And they're on the map because there's two panels that come down. You have the, the, and then there's one side you have the, the, the masks patterns. And on the other side, you then have this map. Very detailed map, beautifully drawn map that fills out as you explore the realms. Brilliant. And then each map has four icons that matches the silhouettes of the items in the cupboard holes, basically telling you in this realm you can find these things. Invaluable. Absolutely invaluable because later on you're going to have to find things from other realms to put on marks for other realms to get to certain things. Oh, boy. So that's the loop. But what, 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 so you make your mask, you put the mask on, you do actually, listener, you actually have to use your virtual hands to clasp the mask. I love this bit as well. And put it on top of your VR helmet and then you become, and it instantly loads. And then what it did for me on the PC, I think it doesn't. Yeah, it's, it's so fast. Yeah, it's really quick. So, so fast. And then bam, you get a little icon of, of the mask maker. It's like, in, and then woof, you're in. And then you're in another world. And it's, you're outside, always outside, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yes, pretty much, apart from the mine bit. Apart, apart from yes, the, the mines and the towers are the only and the towers. indoor yeah. areas. Yeah, I think. But, uh, but then you're outside and you just interact with things and you see mannequins. And these mannequins are wearing masks. And they, they are the things that basically are, what can I put it, sort of fast travel beacons. <laughs> Yeah, you, you without... can you can never reach them, no. In person, they're always separated by either a barrier or water or uh, on a different plane. But you can always see them. 
Um, and yeah. that's kind of the way that you explore to find items that you can use to build masks. You explore to find um, levers and contraptions you can use to open up other areas of the the map or more often transfer items between yourself and an area you can't reach. And then when you look to those areas, you will see a mannequin much like the one you're currently inhabiting, but it's got on a mask that is subtly or sometimes not so subtly different from the one you're wearing. Mm -hmm. uh, and you need to zoom in on that, and it does a little bit of a, um, a detective mode scan of the, the mask and builds you a blueprint for what items you need and what colors you need to paint the mask and adorn the mask yeah. with uh, in order to be able to transfer yourself into that individual mannequin that you've you've spotted um so it's this whole game of exploring to find what is it you're missing that you need to build that mask in order to get you there so that you can then go on and find another blueprint for another mask back to the workshop build the mask and so that's the loop that you're on is making masks in the workshop so that you can inhabit different bodies in each of the uh six i guess technically um different lands that you can go to um, and in each case, you're looking for four or five different uh, masks to build. Um, and so yeah. the, the loop just keeps going. And, and as you said, Chris, very quickly you get the hang of that. And so then the wrinkles become, how are they separating you from the goal you need to reach? And the puzzles kind of build in that way of how do you transfer items between one mannequin and another? How quickly you can transfer yourself between one mannequin and another? Um and then how to access different parts of the world when maybe there's a body of water and you need a boat to cross or yeah. there's a desert and you need the the water to flow so that you can then take a boat across. So, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's really mm -hmm. nicely layered in terms of what they add on to that loop. I think. Yeah, there's a, a, a loop here that um, feels very gentle throughout the game. Like things progress in a way that it doesn't really feel like it's linear it sort of has a um a, oh god sorry brain's farting um <laughs> it has like an illusion that it's more kind of open than it actually is but i think um if you sit down and look at the exact progression of the game it does follow like a relatively linear path you have to do certain bits yeah. in certain worlds before you can move to the next bit in the next world. Yeah, it's quite um, strictly controlled, yeah. Yeah, but it, it doesn't really feel like it yeah. is. And the, the first half of the game, I think your your objective is to traverse these three different... I mean, the game specifically calls them biomes. I know that we, we joked on the previous show that we did a lot of talking about biomes and how the word became uh, meaningless. But this, this game actually refers to them as biomes in some text that I saw. So I'm going to stick with it. Um, but you, you get this... Um, first gentle loop where you you are basically just moving through these worlds, solving some fairly light puzzles and finding the items that you'll need to then progress to the ne either the next part of the world that you're in or progress uh, through a section in one of the other worlds. And that's kind of the first half of the game, getting to these three towers that um, you're being prodded towards in each of the three uh biomes uh, and then it kind of ramps up for i think the second half of the game apart from the fact that the you've now got a lot more crafting materials 
and it gives you another three masks and now introduces an aspect of instead of the masks just being a solid color you can paint different sections of them uh, so you end up with these uh, really wild carnival masks almost sort of patchwork colors by the time you you're getting to the the really late ones with multiple different items stuck on them in, in various colors as well but that second half of the game the loop turns into rather than being kind of more about exploration uh, in this section you can see the other mannequins uh, much more freely like i think in each of the three biomes in the second half i like moved forwards a few yards and suddenly you're kind of stuck in a place where you can see a bunch of the the mannequins but they're they're all inaccessible on sort of different levels of a yeah. a multi-tiered area or something and then the the basically hook for the second half of the game for each biome is that they are a much larger puzzle that you have to either solve in a timed basis uh, and or using all three or four of your mannequins to all be doing specific things at specific times to kind of hold a door open or uh, there's one where you very quickly have to move around an area um, spraying some uh, like some fungusy things or um, one where you're you're pumping a bellows to get a fire started but everybody has their roles that you have to have to go through so it kind of introduces the puzzles very gently and it introduces most of the items in the first part of the game and then it's like right here here is now your your more comprehensive test have you been uh understanding the way that the game plays and how how you can quickly switch between characters and uh it gives you some more different tactile um motions and things that you need to use i think there's there's a couple of bits where you're using like a pulley system that you didn't see previously that feels yeah. much more kind of energetic than what the game was previously getting you to do. So I really like that everything sort of ramps up. You start off with a, a really plain uh, plain mask. You carve it out, you dip it into the red paint. And from there, I think, oh, I was trying to think off the top of my head how many different masks you end up with. It must be must be in the region of between about 25 and 30 i want to say there's about eight in each yeah um in each of the I boards think ten on each three board boards. four across ten the top four board, across yeah. the bottom yeah. and then two in the middle yeah yeah right so yeah that's what 30 Thir 30, 30 different masks that you've got plus the final and, one. yeah oh uh, yes of course and then you you get to create your own mask as well yes, at the end but do. we'll, we'll yeah. talk about that i'm sure yeah. uh but yeah it sort of goes from really goes from this quite simple pleasant um slow paced little thing to being uh really in depth i think by the end of it and it the game it, it's the rewards are kind of um in line with that like the the hoops that you have to jump through to get those final three masks in each of the areas are um are reflected in how uh how intricate and beautiful the the masks look like at the end like you really feel i've now got this fantastic looking thing and i i had to earn this um and yeah it's it's not something that i'm overly familiar with i haven't played a huge number of br games and i think this is only the second or third one that i've played using um move controllers instead of instead of just using a pad mm -hmm. for something like astrobot or moss um so i 
I didn't, I mean, I sort of knew what to expect, but I didn't think this was going to be quite as involved as it was. And it, it's really uh, been a really, really satisfying experience kind of doing that tactile, uh, tactile tied with narrative um, side of things. I think the game does a perfect, uh, well, not perfect, it's difficult to say perfect, but I think it balances the gameplay and the narrative and the puzzle solving and stuff really, really well together. Mm. I think one of, one of the things that struck me is that the, the the elaborate puzzles towards the end are a personal highlight for me. I like the swamp one. It was a little bit frustrating when I got in that lift and went, okay, I know I'm supposed to be here, but what am I supposed to do with it? <laughs> so is there some kind of lever I need to pull? I've seen levers everywhere. There's no lever here. What if I grabbed hold of that rope? Oh, there you go. <laughs> it it, it's, it's lovely that it allows you to, yeah. like, move things around but it doesn't highlight them really until you reach out to them and go huh maybe i'm supposed to interact with that let's yeah. try that it's kind of strange I mean, given the... we've had crank handles for the baskets it could have just yeah. been a crank handle as well but they chose not to and, and as soon as i got it i got it but there was a moment of this is a lift clearly but how and then you spot the rope and it, it, it the rope's just highlighted enough i think it's just enough of a different yeah. color but uh, yeah yeah it, it it was yeah, but I did love that one. That was most like really reveled in the, the 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 concept of the game and the spatial awareness and you being two spaces at once at the same. It's just I just really really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um. Even if it was a little bit dexterity required, more than a little bit actually, because you had to do it in order. Otherwise, they reset the whole thing. It's yeah. one of those puzzles. It's bound to be one of them. <laughs> um. And I also like the. I think I like the boiler. That was fun, setting that on fire and stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting loop. And then just they they built on those those concepts. And one of the other things that I love about this game is that it encourages you to be observant about everything. For example, towards the end, where you have you have to match the uh, each tower, you have to put the two guardians on their appropriate symbols. Well, if you look on the back of each mask, those symbols are carved into the back of the mask. Mm. And if you're not observant, like, oh, yes, well, it's just on the back of the... They're on the display boards as well. They're in the centre between the two masks that are um, the ones that are in the tower. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not afraid to say that uh, I spent quite a long time in that room just assuming that everybody would be facing the color of the wall that was like my the first wall has two yeah. portals yeah. on each side yeah and yeah. then when that didn't work i thought okay well maybe the other character has to look at this one with their color mm-hmm. behind them mm-hmm. so the yellow guy is on the other side of the room from the green guy and if you're the yellow guy looking at the green guy he has the green hole behind him and then i was kind of realizing that the little things on the floor that had previously been lit up weren't lit up anymore but it, yeah, some of those things. It's like it is. It is a fairly simple thing, but when you get the wrong end of the stick and you're kind of pushing in the wrong direction, it can yeah. take a while to get your brain back in the right order for it. Yeah, I think with that, I think the problem is that as you're going to each tower and getting the pair um, of mannequins into the the center onto the lift, so that it goes to the special place where they can all, all the towers can communicate together. At the end of that, all of those portals are lit up. So 
so the feedback is, you've done this correctly. And then I started going around, I thought, right, well, that's okay, so it must be something when I have to bring the world into harmony, it must be, or into balance, it must be something that I have to go into the world and do. And so I went back to the swamp area, because on the first part of that swamp area, there's still some of the fungus on the mushrooms, like, high up in the trees. I was trying yeah, to work out how to do yeah. that, because that seemed like something I should be able to solve with the fungicide. Um and then eventually I thought, no, it, it must be in the tower that it wants me to go. And you actually have to undo the feedback you're getting that everything is correct because everything's lit up in order to then relight everything up by getting everyone in different positions. I think that's quite yeah. an unclear thing when what they could have done, for argument's sake, is either not lit those uh sort of portals up when you're stood on them and get to the bottom or light one of them up because in getting everyone into position maybe one of them you have to have correct already have one of them extra lit up, lit up or lit up differently to highlight that there's something missing in that room in those lifts when ostensibly you're being told that you've got everything where it needs to be they needed some way of telling you that, that there was something there needed to be done because, yeah, that was the, the place that I came uh, unstuck. So there's only two ways in which this game uh, troubled me. My completion time was 4 hours 29 minutes, so I completed the game pretty quickly. Certainly, I'd never beat the time that How Long to Beat suggests, so I'm quite chuffed with myself that I did on this <laughs> one. Because um, How Long to Beat is 5 hours, I think it says at the moment, for the, the basic completion. So, uh, mm-hmm. gold star to me. But... Um, the other place was the number of times I forgot that I could move by teleporting. I just used yeah. the analog left analog yeah. stick to move around because yeah. that's what's comfortable yeah. to me. So when at the beginning it presented, you can move with the left analog stick or you can teleport with the right. I assumed that was an option of which movement type I prefer. And so mm. when I brought the tree down in the swamp area and was like, it looks like the fence is a bit dipped here. Can I get no? And I go back to the previous mannequin and get a no. I can't get onto this tree. How do I? And I started looking everywhere for somewhere I could progress. Finally worked out that I was meant to teleport onto the the tree and then promptly went to the next world and did exactly the same on the boat and exactly the same on the gondola uh, thing. I I just forgot that teleporting was there so many times. And that's me. That's my fault. But yeah. It's just that's the only two way times I got stuck in this game. Otherwise, Chris, you're quite right. Being um, being observant of your surroundings and and paying attention and kind of thinking about okay, looking at the silhouettes on the masks, what do I need to get? Which land is that in? Okay, that's yeah. where I now need to go to progress this. Um, just paying yeah. attention to that stuff. It does give so much great information and clues that the couple of times it didn't. It stumped me a little bit more than they should. However, there is an ongoing hint system throughout the game, which we'll talk about, I think, about now, yeah. uh, kind of, because story and progression and completion. So I've written some notes here. So the story, you have unwittingly been employed as an apprentice to a long-dead mask maker. Um, the player is regarded as a free spirit who has a gift for mask making, and that's you. The king, who goes by the name of Prospero, that's right, the, the Tempest, 
exist in an alternate realm that can only be visited via the use of the mask the player makes. Prospero promises rewards to the player if they do his bidding. The spirits, there are three spirits, um, trapped in, in this realm. Um, and uh, they, well, they seek release and also want to bring back balance to the realm which the king has been well, Prospero has undermined and destroyed. That's why the the realm you enter, although it's very pretty and beautiful, is actually largely dead. I say largely, not entirely. Um, so basically there's a quandary. Which side does the player really take in this story? Um, it's, it's an otherworldly struggle. They, nothing to, they have no you know, in, investment in this. Um, or do they? Um because the player, I believe, the main driver is just sheer curiosity. Where's this going to go? And uh, they're not really trapped or imprisoned as much, as far as I can tell. Well, I think they can leave at any time, but I don't think there's any way of actually opening the door of the shop. I tried a few times. <laughs> no, you, you can, right. not, not until no. at the end when the story no. uh, says you, you're supposed to. No, I've said the play duration ranges from, I said six to eight, but five to eight. Eight is very long. If you're trying to collect everything that might have been yeah, me yeah i think um, I, I missed one collectible <laughs> on the shelf so yeah. uh so yeah it's certainly possible to do it in five but yeah oh yeah probably a yeah. bit um so yeah that's the, the reasonable range depending on your own investment and yeah. the, 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 but um what what is everyone this is all delivered a lot of it is delivered by a voice narrative mm-hmm. a lot of like ex, exposition what is everyone make of that do you think it was work do you think the 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 tone and the, the narration and also what what do you think of the overall story have i represented it correctly yeah yeah i think so i i liked the fact that when you're in each of the realms the the king is speaking to you and like the second time you hear him speak you start to get the hints of maybe the king doesn't have your best interests at heart hmm. or you know you you get like odd comments here about letting you in on the fact that the king's probably responsible for what's gone wrong in this place um and and has no intention of letting go of uh, the power that that he has um which i thought was was nicely done it's, it's never sort of um i guess glados would be the obvious touchstone for a voiceover character who has their own agenda um obviously without spoiling anything of that it's never to that degree uh, of characterization, but it, it's nice to have that there. Um, I think, I think it's left deliberately vague, or maybe it isn't. Maybe everyone has the same uh, read as I do on it, as to who the king is in the real world. Whether the king is a direct um, analog for the the master mask maker, um, or or is some combination of. Um, and and I like that. There was definitely a mystery there of. Who is this king and how does it relate to this shop that I just walked into where clearly there is uh, a history there between two characters in particular? Um, yeah. So yeah, I thought that was Well, rude. I thought he was the apprentice, the original apprentice, didn't he? So that's what... my end, end takeaway was that part of the apprentice got trapped in the mirror yes. with the, the master mask maker. Mm. And so... It could be a, an amalgam of the two, or that 
Right. Or or that it's the apprentice having invaded like the the entire place is the master mask maker's mind if you like and the king is the apprentice having come in and kind of taken it over was my read on it, yeah. Um yeah. But my point about it not it not giving everything away is because it's the same voice actor, I think it's deliberately trying to keep it vague as to who's who and it's not trying to give away uh through voice acting who anyone's particular role is um but yeah yeah the the king is it's interesting to have that there um the hints that the game gives you either in the workshop or in the world as well sometimes feel quite direct and other times not so much they're quite vague like bring balance to the world is not a particularly uh specific hint but sometimes just hearing oh you might need to go to another realm to find some some of the ingredients was like yeah okay, that helps thank you mm, i think that there's a, a like a dichotomy here where the the hints are relatively good at pushing you in an overall good uh, like general direction of where you're supposed to be going but if you're actually stuck on a puzzle they kind of just keep hammering the same information yeah. at you i think there's a point very early in the the mountain area where you've got to fix uh, a series mm. of gears mm-hmm. for a gondola to work. And I hadn't realized that there were four gears, I think, instead of three. And I kept just trying to get the couple that I could see to fit into the space that it was going yeah. into. And it took me probably about 10, 15 minutes in that location, in that very small area, just trying to get the... You've, I think it gives you two two holes and two spaces for gears to go and the holes are where these pegs go into and then there's four different pegs and four different gears so you're kind of messing about but for whatever reason either the the gear i hadn't realized it was a a different one like a slightly different size or i'd knocked the correct one onto the floor or something it wasn't obviously visible so i was like trying to jam the one that was slightly too big or slightly too small into into the space and the hint system just kept saying, <laughs> like repeating the same line yeah. over and over. Maybe of like, you have you tried putting the gears, the gears in the thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like I know the gears are here, but then it actually it turned out that I did need to find the gear. So <laughs> maybe um, it was yeah, right all along. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's sort of obtuse in that mm. way, but there's also points where, um, I think I quite like the little, um, the. F- sort of flavor lines of dialogue that the 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 spirits can spit out at you mm. when you're in the um the world uh, of the the um the workshop like putting the masks together yeah. but i i mean i also not sure if this is because i was spending a long time on it but i do feel like i heard a lot of the same little flavor I, text I lines to. over and over there's i can't oh i can't remember exactly what it was but there's one where they talk about um Oh, it's something like a a true a true mask shop doesn't sell masks. It only lends them out to people, which of course is a terrible business strategy. <laughs> um, it it it's not that exact line, but it's yeah. something very yeah, similar yeah. to that. Yeah. It, it kind yeah. of invoked I, I, like the mask sellers in um in Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask uh, to me. Um, but yeah, I I heard that line multiple times throughout yeah, the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot, lot of um. A borderline pretentious nonsense like the mask is the truth but the truth like please <laughs> <laughs> please 
But, you know, I think the game is relatively self-aware enough to know that uh, what it was doing, at least the spirits were coming across as slightly deranged, which is not understandable because they are trapped. I really liked the fact that taking my read, which we'll obviously get to the ending, that the, the world you're going into and therefore the spirits themselves each represent one of the so the, the spirits represent one of each of the three rules of mask making and if my read of the world being the head of the the master mask maker the fact that the spirits were giving you like n- nice but slightly anno- slightly annoyingly obtuse um descriptions about what it is to be a mask maker or what it is to wear a mask or you know uh very philosophical sort of uh ideas about identity and mask wearing and that kind of stuff i felt a little bit of what it must have been to be the apprentice and be so frustrated that the mask maker just kept on teaching in the way that they thought was best but clearly wasn't right for the apprentice like when the, when you finally uh, find how the relationship broke down, you realize it's because both of them wanted something from the other that that weren't they weren't able to give, um, and so I quite like the fact that the spirits were slightly obnoxiously waxing philosophical in there, and I agree. I, I think it was absolutely the game knew what it was doing, and I think it was. Mm-hmm giving us a taste, a little taste, of what it was to be an apprentice to this mask maker and be frustrated by wanting to find out more about the masks and just kind of getting philosophical platitudes about masks rather than actually yeah. getting to understand. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was quite nicely done, actually. Mm-hmm. And you know, the culmination of the story where I'm not sure if this is a first for Kane and Rince, but it did culminate in some interpretative dance. Which, <laughs> I'm not sure if there's any other game we've featured that does include interpretive dance, but it was definitely there. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. It was I nice. Can think, I can think of a few games that have definitely been covered on the podcast where uh, uh, they end in a dance number. And yeah. one of them happens to be a Quantic Dream game, and there was some Quantic Dream ties to this, but I'm not sure if it really, uh, really has the same spirit to it. No, but... Uh, I liked it. I liked doing the drum beats as well. That was fun. Wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Um, been yeah. like, you know, all of a sudden it's a uh, rock band. Cool. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would have liked more of that, please. That, that yeah. That could have been cool mechanic, like yeah, four yeah. times as long. Yeah. I would yeah. have enjoyed it. Or like yeah. moving on to different instruments or something. If they had been a xylophone afterwards or something, I would have had a great time with it. Well, you do get to use a, a little lute thing. Yeah, for absolutely. The, for the yeah, so, yeah you know. that's true. I think it was a, a, a very good story, very thought-provoking towards the end. But we'll we'll do that wrap-up at the end because I think now is the time to delve into the aesthetics because we, we've been dancing around this. Hey, did I do? Um, <laughs> but um, so I've, I've done this before. and <laughs> But we do need to talk about the aesthetics. So uh, rather than me lead the, the front on this, would anyone want to step forward and give their description and uh, impression of how mask maker looks so we've talked about the the kind of the shop being quite evocative of um a craftsman's space and you know you've got the the notion of it being part like dress up shop and part apothecary it's lots of woods lots of kind of it, it puts me in a mind of like 19th century here's a shop on a high street type sort of situation maybe even earlier than that maybe 18th century but 
Then you get into the worlds, and these are natural environments. Um, the first biome, you're on uh, a beach with lots of um, like slatted wooden uh, walkways and bridges between each of the sw small islands that are sort of strung together. A lot of them broken, which is where you need to, to go across the other side with a different mannequin. Um, really nice sort of sunny blue sea, wind, sort of uh, breezy environment. Uh, really colourful um, palm trees, that kind of thing. Um, and you're moving about between all these different sort of sandy beach islands. Um, and then that follows on to... What's the second part of that environment? Why am I blanking on that? Uh, the second part is the desert oh, it's the desert with the yeah, yeah the, the, the gates the that you have to and, open up yeah, yeah to the desert where you have to yeah. re-water where there's been a dam and you now have to open up the the floodgate or the the dam gates water gates uh to allow the water to flow again yeah um and then the second is uh <laughs> straight out of elden rain dark souls and the like is a swamp area uh, no poison here, but there's definitely like there's green hazy stuff well, is, on the yeah. There's there's bad stuff yeah. going on. There's there's weed killer at least. That's yeah, the yeah, for sure. Um, so a lot of your view here is obstructed, whereas the other one you could see all the way to the horizon. Uh, in this case, your view is obstructed by either plant life or this kind of green haze around. So you get the sense that this is very much a swampy type place where there's kind of an acrid air um, that. As yeah, we mentioned, there's a fungus that is growing and and like, excuse me, stringing itself across between uh, trees, sometimes blocking your pathway. Hence the need for fungicide that you have to mix and then use a little sort of uh, horticultural spray bottle to um to remove all of that. Um, and there's there's great sort of um fungi growing out the side of some of the plants. And then the second part of that area is up into the canopy above, which is slightly more fresh aired but still has some of the the fungus string around um and is kind of a an elevated um like tree dwelling uh habitat where there's platforms built around uh trees circular platforms and then they have rope bridges between them um to to kind of get from one to the other and some uh, pulley lifts that we've mentioned as well um which is really cool to to go from that on that lower down area where it feels quite oppressive and close to then get up into the sort of lofty environment uh, up above, which is a really nice uh, shift for that one. And then the third environment is up on uh, the mountain tops in a kind of yep. uh, mountain top environment, uh, and there's a little sort of village there, um, and some uh, a gondola kind of moving between the two, uh, some of the the platforms, and you're kind of going around the mountains alongside some goats, which is quite nice. And a bit of a puzzle there to to get the goat back to where it should be to to get some hair from it um for for that. that's quite that's quite traumatic for the for the for the goat but yeah that's that's the one <laughs> note of danger that this game actually puts in is the voiceover literally says oh no is this the slaughterhouse machine and you're just like, what? <laughs> it's obviously not that... and at no point did i really believe it was but yeah there was definitely a Vegan James yeah. had a moment of, did I just kill an animal necessarily? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty grim. But uh, no, I, I, it's yeah, I think yeah, really, really well. Yeah, absolutely. And then that le stuff. leads into the mountain where you are reigniting a furnace in the mines. Yeah, uh, it, I like yeah, that one. And that's that's yeah. a real uh, again. So through these, the the difference between the first part and the second part is probably most felt here. 
in that you're out in mm. the mountaintops and it's just air everywhere, kind of way above uh, sea level. And then you get into the mines and it's very sort of dark and close and tight and twisty. And yeah, it's um, quite a striking difference. But those are the, the three biomes. And I, in the way that it sounded, in the way that uh, it was lit, not that the 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 actual technical lighting changed, but just the, the colour and how bright it was just gave a completely different feel from one environment to the next. There's some of them that are really dark and dingy and you turn into a corner and you're not sure if you'll even be able to see. Um, and then others, it's really sort of feels much more open and bright and airy. It's really, really well done, I think. Mm, I think um, we haven't really discussed what the game, like the actual graphical style of it is i mean no, it's because it's really. vr it's obviously uh sort of a first person uh 3d world that you're traversing around in i mean i i'm not going to say in any respect that it's um like photo realistic no. it has a a very sort of cartoony fluffy looking style to everything sea of thieves um, is not a bad approximation to me yes. yeah that's that's yes. definitely a, a very reasonable comparison i think the um like the really bright vibrant colors that everything comes with and the way that things have been painted in different colors so that there's a very stark con contrast between different objects like things don't blend into each other um and it, it in a very similar way that you've got the when you're making the masks in the workshop you've got a, a uh, like a sink with the um, the paints that go into it and you can mix the you've got your three primary colors that you can mix together and i think then leads to uh, six different paint colors for the masks and it's like the like everything else the color choices are there that you've you've got um you know red and yellow and orange which are all obviously on the same spectrum but you could also quite easily have a a third tier of those colors where you mix uh you've got your orange or your um uh red and then blue gets mixed to make a brownie color and it looks very similar to the orange but fortunately they haven't gone that that third step to to add in more confusion to it so it's i i feel like i'm rambling and talking nonsense here but <laughs> um the the idea that the color palette is maybe not quite as diverse as it could yeah. be yeah. I think helps things stand out very strongly. Yeah. And it for a game where you are very specifically spending a lot of your time, you, you understand that the loop here is I've seen a mask, it's got a, a thing on it that looks like a leaf or a feather or something that I yeah. haven't seen before. So clearly one of my immediate goals is going to be to find that thing. Yeah. And they are all very small in the world and often hidden in some not devious but in some quite ingenious ways i think one of the very first ones probably the first one you have to find uh, is a shell and uh, you realize that you need it and i spent quite a long time wandering about on the beaches <laughs> where there are little rocks everywhere expecting yeah. that i was going to find a shell and then no. eventually you realize no you need to you need to turn these cranks to pull these fishing nets up yeah. and even then there's about four different nets and <laughs> they've all got shells on them but yeah. only one of them is the correct shell yeah. but um yeah but I... it it does i think the the graphics complement the way that things don't get too muddy through um 
like a feeling of sameness or blending together and it, there are a few spots where the game doesn't really explain to you that you're looking for something unique i think the one that really sticks out to me is um one of the items that you need is some sort of little seed pod thing um almost looks like um the seeds from something like a lime tree with the little um little circular seed then with the the helicopter blades so when they come down from the trees they kind mm -hmm. of Oh yeah, spin yeah. round. Um, there's there's a an item that is supposed to be some sort of seed or fruit of some plant that looks a little bit like that, but it's it's got stalks on it, and then there's a few different balls on the ends of the stalks, and you find a whole load of uh, bushes. And as, at least as far as my game goes, I wasn't told that you were looking for a specific one of these. So I kept yeah. picking up these things off the plants, thinking, well, this looks like the thing on the mask that I've seen. Yeah. And it's letting me pick them up, which is unusual. Like normally if you can pick something up and it doesn't just look like a mug or something from the a yeah. table that's obviously just something that you can mess about with. Like it is the thing that you want. So I found all these and it's everything else about it was very set up in the same way that lots of the other areas where you find your key items are. But the game doesn't really tell you that you're actually looking for one unique one out of all of these that has more um uh, more prongs than the rest of the uh, the plants. It's got like more more crowns on the top of it until you eventually find it. And the the um, the little bit of flavor text says something about oh this is the equivalent of finding a four leaf clover. There's plenty of the other ones. It's like well you you didn't mention that at all. <laughs> I've sort of picked all these up and thrown them on the floor and like, and in other parts of the game there are plenty like the 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 little green um, stalks you have to find fairly early on. They're all over the place, and any one of yeah, them will they're do. All over, yeah. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and even the the little flower you get from this, or the little um, thing you get from the center of the the lily flower, that's pink and very sort of wispy, and I couldn't see mm. it in there, but I could have gone to anyone and picked it up. So it kind of helps out by making them plentiful, and then like the yeah. little torus shaped fossil or stone you have to find in the um, uh, in the the desert area, the second part of the the beach. Um, I picked one up and thought, great, I found it, and it did nothing. And then I put it down, picked it up again, it did nothing, turned around, and there was a white one in the stone face. Pick that one up, yeah, that's the one. So again, like the shells, sometimes <laughs> they need it to be the specific one, specific colour, and other times yeah. it's just, yeah, any one of these will do. So yeah, that's definitely a, a weird quirk of the game. Yeah, for me, it's a, one or two little sticking points, but generally the the kind of the cartoony and like rounded edges and kind mm. of floaty fluffy look of everything serves it really really well and it's very very pretty to look at especially because the the different areas that you go to i think by design are supposed to all be very nice uh sort of relaxing looking places like they look like things that i'd you know places i'd like to go on holiday to yeah. stay somewhere in the treetops or on yeah. a tropical island or uh, yeah. in the in the mountains somewhere, maybe um, not the swamp, but otherwise, yeah, 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 maybe it, not the swamp. It was, it was quite quite bucolic, I think is the word we might be looking for. But yes, it's uh, they are they are wondrous sort of places. What I love about it when you find the item you need, and then you get this massive exposition by the king, so he gets really excited, and then it just dissolves in your hand. Yeah, it's just really beautiful. Um, Jesse, I've not heard much of you. What do your take on the visuals? 
Um, I don't know. I mean, I mentioned Neil Gaiman earlier, and the, my first thought was maybe Coraline, right? Uh, that sort of and and that PS3 game Puppeteer uh, were the first few things in mind. I mean, I really enjoyed the 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 very the fact that the mask got more colorful. Uh, it's it's cheap heat, but as someone who um, you know played a lot of Missile Command when I was eight, just trying to see what color is the next screen going to be, uh, it was incredibly satisfying to be like, oh, now the masks have. Now you have a brush, right? Now you can color it, you know, in uh, this multicolored way. And yeah, I mean, I found I found all of that really satisfying. I liked the world. It reminded me a little. Uh, my favorite VR game, Walkabout Mini Golf, is doing a deal with Mist, apparently. So they're going to do Mist Islands in, in uh, golf. And uh, that was my first reaction. I was like, yeah, this is pretty much what I'm expecting from that. Uh, kind of a pleasant place to hang out and that kind of... You know, um, again, that, I mean, Mist is also kind of a dark whimsy, you know, even, you know, John was on the Trinity and Fool's Errand episodes with me, and this did, there's like a, yeah, it's it's not exact enough to be a genre, but everything about this game fits into this, uh, this vibe that I like, but I, yeah, that, that, those all have a lot in common. Um, uh, yeah, besides that, I mean, I thought, again, I, the silhouettes, not, of the dancers even, but of the humans in the cutscenes that had little mm. black wisps coming off of them. Uh, I found really evocative and I would like to see that effect. Like it was, it was sort of, I don't know if anyone's ever read Jim Woodring comics, but there's a, a silhouette man who takes care of his, uh, his character man hog at one point uh, that it reminded me of. And just a very, you know, there, there's certain effects in this game. And I think my overall, Evaluation is going to be like, I liked this. I enjoyed it. I wouldn't not recommend it to people. Uh, I would recommend it if it sounds like your kind of thing. But mm. there were a couple of things that stand out where I'm like, even if this isn't your type of game, I think you would be impressed and get something out of playing it uh, for these moments. I also think, honestly, it was pretty, it's fairly impressive that they were able to do these masks that have certain cultural elements sort of to them but that don't stray yeah. into like i wouldn't be shocked if someone wrote an article and was like oh this is you know uh, 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 doing something bad because xyz thing i didn't know about but at least mm. my radar didn't go off so that's like a good a good bar to clear of like yeah. there is something yeah yeah that's a really good point it doesn't feel like these are masks meant to evoke cultural, tribal, anything like that sort of typical masks. It doesn't feel like they come from a specific um, culture or anything like that. It, they right. they kind of get away with saying these are, like, even though they're made from wood and, and wooden masks like that tend to um, evoke kind of like African masks, that kind of thing. They don't. They kind of stay on the side of, nope, these are masquerade masks. These are made from wood because that's the material we had at the the time that's the the one that the mask maker uses but they are for a carnival that takes place in a town uh and they are very vibrant colors but not meant they don't feel like they are depicting specific gods or or mythological beings they manage to distance themselves i'm not sure entirely how they do that but it feels yeah mm. i never it never tripped my radar either jesse no. Yeah, it's an it's a little bit abstracted, 
It's yeah. uh, this yeah. is a weird yeah. comparison, but in in the game Dominion, I've, the cardboard game, I always am impressed that like they'll they'll have witches, but they won't have wizards. They'll have imps, but they won't have demons. Like though they're they're right writing the Euro abstract Euro game fantasy cusp, but they never quite go over. And there are aspects mm. of this where it does feel like yeah, it is it is in some sense riding the cusp of getting a little of the sort of historical you know uh, juice in some sense uh but but yeah not going over the line in any way that i i could put my finger on certainly there there was one issue that i sort of wrote in the notes that was about color blindness yeah. maybe a problem when playing this mm. game um i don't i don't personally suffer from this but uh it doesn't seem to be any way that I actually try to equate so when you're trying to paint the blues and the yellows in a certain pattern that might be a problem yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure yeah. Yeah. so on the board on the lever that you pull to pull down the boards they've obviously got the the base color of each of the pairs of masks that you're going to have on each board so uh red and, yes, and purple yeah. uh the the green and the blue and then the um yellow and the orange um so that i think that's right yeah um but those are not the only colors you're going to be painting the masks that are there. But I wonder, I wondered if they'd picked specific colors because they didn't pick um, like complementary colors or you know that kind of no. thing. No. Um, I wondered if they'd pick particular colors to try and avoid that. But there's no difference in texture or anything that you're putting onto them. It's yeah. It, no. If this tripped a colorblind uh, color pairing, then you'd. I think be pretty uh, in trouble, and I didn't notice. I wasn't looking for it to be fair, but I didn't notice when I went through the settings menu as I always do when I fired the game up. Uh, anything to help with color blindness? So yeah, I'm not entirely sure on that. And for a game that's about mm. bold colors, and as John was saying in particular, I think we were all generally agreeing, the fact that they've got quite bold colors and they've pared the colors down to the kind of the six, three primary, three secondary colors means that everything kind of stands out and is separated for me but yeah if that's not the case for everyone then that definitely is a, a something to be I'll be aware of hmm so let's move on to the writing the voice acting and the sound mixing I'm going to wrap that up together I mean maybe you could uh, throw in the sound design but let's do the sound mixing really rather than the sound design because that's a spot effects and that sort of thing which I think they did a great job of but the Let's hold on to that. What do we think of, I mean, the voice acting we mentioned frequently, and I think it's a little bit acted, and there's definitely projection going on there, but <laughs> it's, it's, there's, you know, they're definitely speaking from the diaphragm, you know, breathe, and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, they, clearly they, they, they had a good time um, in, that, in that sound booth, but... Um, well, how do we, how do we, what do we make of it? I think it's very in keeping with the tone of the game. Yes, there's that sort of fairy tale aspect of it again that comes in with the uh, specifically the the way that the lines of dialogue are written and the acting and what you're talking about the sort of over the top, almost overacting side mm. of things there. Um, and I, I struggle to pick out apart from a few scenes that are specifically based around music like i struggle to mm. struggle to kind of really separate the score from the like the background noise if there is very much of it in places it's quite quiet yeah. and then the 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 dialogue over the top and i think that that's probably 
uh, in some ways is um to the game's credit that you don't notice that it's not particularly jarring that there's not suddenly a scene where the music swells i think there's a lot of points where it's either not there and you're just kind of listening to the ambient sound i mean in the mountains particularly there's a lot of uh, wind noise and things which uh feels much more um atmospheric than if they had like a constant score going on but there's also i think a lot of points where the music is just sort of playing softly in the background behind all of that and there's the dialogue going over the top of it and um the uh the other different um sound effects and things playing and the music just being kind of this low um sort of swell behind all of that i think works very well and it's it it, it is that again that two-handed thing of you don't really notice it like they're not extremely stand out i'm going to be remembering these tunes later on but i think in the context of actually playing the game it it's very important and you would certainly notice uh, if it was different or specifically absent you're right the music is i cannot really the word definitely it's definitely there it definitely swells where it needs to swell but for the most part the most the sound that's ringing in my ears when i think of mask maker is all the rather verbose voice acting yeah. and uh delivery of those and no, no, it's not a problem uh, but i think the king uh, his tone and his constant like malevolent tone i mean it's obviously like you know he was he was he's in sufferance of you he's he needed your help to do a thing but uh he didn't want you to do it. it was, yeah, he it needed your help, very but, but he would have solved the problem himself anyway. It's very oh, yeah. much the tone of what's going on, yeah. <laughs> I was like 99% convinced that that was the voice actor from Hand of Fate. Uh, maybe I'm just not good with accents, but I was convinced the king was a different voice actor, and that it was it was the guy who keeps making fun of me in Hand of Fate every time I die. <laughs> uh, and it worked well. I mean, I, I was like, good choice. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I, I it had that narrative element. I I I at first was sort of annoyed by the acting, but at eventually I just kind of rode with it, and uh, it you know it carried the game along in a nice through line. Really, the again the only downside was when. Uh, I couldn't figure out something, and it was giving me a hint for a thing I already understood about it. Uh, but that was yeah. sort of in keeping with its uh, m- malevolence. So, sure. Yeah, I, I was constantly snapping. Like, tell me something I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it, it does. It, you know. Yeah, that aspect. It does feel a little bit like they went for the tier one hint, where they thought someone was really, yeah. really stuck, and it was like, yeah, no, no, no. I need a little bit more specific than that. I've already got that bit. That was fine. I know I'm looking yeah, for an object. Yeah. I got that. Could you give me a yeah, hint where the yeah. object is? Uh, no, there was definitely. Yeah, I, I was basically. I do remember yelling when I was sitting in that bloody lift, going, "What am I supposed to do in this thing? <laughs> Where's the pulley? <laughs> oh wait, I got it now. I feel stupid." But <laughs> just... as you were, King, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, as you were. Please well, carry uh, on being sarcastic. I, I guess that's the thing is, it will give you hints on the puzzles, but I, I, I can't. Let me see if I can remember it exactly. My all-time favorite hard drive headline and from the you know satirical website is uh, mm. walkthrough reveals thing you're stuck on, not even a puzzle. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> and and that was the funny thing was right it was like the pulley it wasn't the game is actually very good uh better than fisherman's tale about the fact that if you're playing in vr you especially do not want to take the helmet off and look up a hint online or whatever it's, it's yeah. more annoying yeah. than with a normal game yeah. uh but right the only ones they kind of missed were the ones that they didn't even regard as puzzles like oh you yeah. can pull yeah. this thing course why can't you why can't you see that like there was one of the statue where the, the quite early on oh yeah, yeah where um it's like it was it had the kite tied to one of the arms so and i thought well you can't in, you can't interact with those normally yeah let's yeah. pull it anyway oh look there you go the, so the Off hint for that was that the emblem on the ground was not lit up when you went to stand on it yes and i was stood there like yeah. i know this is not lit up but i can't work out why it's not lit up why? so there yeah. was something telling me it wasn't right so when i was stood there with my arms at kind of like 10 to 3 position i'm, I'm standing there thinking <laughs> yeah. i know this is not right i'm gonna do it anyway yeah not working okay. yeah yeah <laughs> so not working. Okay, it did give it, yeah. something but yeah there was definitely a moment where i was like but i guess yeah. the kite's not meant to be there and then looked where it was and it was right and it was tied right in front of me i thought well that's got to be it <laughs> um yeah 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 that was the my, my first hint at this world yeah. is the, you know the rules are bent slightly. So she's covered some. You know. I mentioned two places I got stuck earlier. The the only other thing yeah. which is not getting stuck and there's no hint that could have come up. Although if one did, I would have been really angry. Was the last bit where you have to mimic the moves for whatever reason? The one where you had to do one arm up and one arm down, and then swap them over so the other arms up and the other arms down in kind of like an L shape, yeah. and then put the both arms up and do that. It wouldn't. Yeah proc is the only way i can describe for me it was like tell me yes you've done that right. right yes you've done that right no that's wrong start again and i was like that's wrong yeah start again yeah and and when i had to do the statue with both arms up it wasn't having any of it either i had to kind of move around <laughs> but yeah every other one i just put them out and it was like yes you're done uh and then when i had yeah. to do that quick i ended up just frantically waving my arms around until it just went so i don't know what it was about whether it was the way my i was holding my arms or the way that the particular oculus quest inside out tracking worked something about that didn't work but that was more just funny than anything but i think had had the king popped up to t or the spirits popped up to tell me oh just follow the moves i might have snapped at that point <laughs> 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 that might have caught me well, at the a king moment didn't of want weakness you to, yeah <laughs> yeah the king didn't want you to do that of course but uh for, for reasons i never really understood but um there was this was been one to the to the sound effects and the spot effects and uh i think that they i think they're outstanding uh yeah. without this level of design and direction i think it would have fallen flat but i think everything from when you get a new piece of thing or new item you go back to the workshop and it's it's not only visually sparkling it's also sounding of sparkling nice tinkly, like, yeah <laughs> And it's like it, I'm of a new thing. I but although towards the late, lower part of the game, I'm like, I know, I, I'll get to you in a minute. You're the last thing I put on because that's my ritual. Stop it. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, and it's uh, it's it's it, it was lovely. And also the bit in the swamp with that bird, yeah, just yeah. taunting you, squawking away. And amount of times I go, shut up. <laughs> I'll get to you in a minute. So that bird, I actually got up to where the item was before, way before the bird yeah. did. So I tried to pick it up oh, like right. five times and was like, why aren't you letting me pick this up? And then the bird swooped in and took it. And I'm like, yeah, but I, okay, I, I, fine. <laughs> you could have timed that better, but sure. I'll take yeah, that yeah, L. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
But um, what does everyone else think? Do you think I'm, I'm wrong? I'm right in that. Do you think it, it does deserve that level of praise? Because I think it was really well done. I think what I said before that the like the diegetic things yeah. blend so well that you're not super aware of them. They never feel mm. um, jarring or out of place or um, ab uh, not obtuse. Um, uh, Dissonant. God, here we go again. So what was that? Dissonant. It was all. Yes. Yeah, dissonance actually a good word. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it never has that negative feeling or, but sort of bewildering feeling that you sometimes get with um, just things that are very out of place. So, I, and the, the points that the music or the um, the design was sort of at the forefront were very. Um, I think if always felt very appropriate. I like the the um couple of little set pieces with the music, like when you're playing the drums or the bit where you're uh, using the little flute thing to charm the snake. Like it, I, I really don't. I, it sounds like it's faint praise, but just saying that it's um, it fits the world perfectly, and it kind of uh, um fulfills the purpose that it's it's setting out for i think is it doesn't necessarily sound like somebody going oh my god it was the most amazing thing in the world but in in my mind what i said is uh about as as good as you can give something yeah yeah, yeah definitely i think um about the sound design two things stand out for me one was when i put the um the flute up to my mouth to try and charm the snake which, having said, yeah. there's not really any bad stereotyping or cultural appropriation. I realize snake charming <laughs> no. flirts, maybe more than flirts. <laughs> <laughs> but you you put the flute yeah. up to your mouth. The fact that I actually blew as though I was playing on a yeah. DS, yeah. knowing that there's nothing in this Oculus controller or headset that is necessarily going to pick up. There is a mic, but it it clearly wasn't using yeah. it. The fact that I blew. Mm. and then heard the whistling coming out and kept blowing as though that was me doing it and not just that was yeah, a nice yeah. moment and the other one was um when i got to the end of the uh the beach area where you have to get the the boat um and spotted the boat and the king popped up to say oh well that's useless there's not been any wind here for for years or words to that effect I immediately mm. knew that that wasn't right. Yeah. I hadn't acknowledged that I could hear wind blowing, but as soon as he said that, I thought, that's not right. Mm. I'm sure it's windy, and turned around and saw the wisps of wind going over one of the buildings. Yeah. That was a really good indicator to me that I had subconsciously picked up on, I can hear a breeze blowing here. There's a boat. That makes sense. And then when the king said there wasn't, I noticed it. So kind of what you're saying, John. It's not that it jumped out and smacked me around the ears, but I knew where I was at all times. I know one area from the next based on the sounds I was hearing, and it it blended very nicely with the kind of uh, the ambiance of the the each area. I I did wear headphones for playing the entire game, mm. and uh, I do think that yeah, overall, it's a very uh, yeah, it, it it like they were saying earlier, nothing ever uh, stood out, but. Uh, everything uh, 
fit the world that I was in and like the subconscious cues and all the tactile stuff, actually, because the move controllers are so limited. I think the sound effects uh, had to sell it a lot and did a good job with that. Hmm. Yeah, I think I'm not um, not like super, super new to VR or the idea of it, but I think that it's still one of the most satisfying things I've ever done in, in gaming to just kind of pick up random <laughs> objects that have been placed and just sort of toss them aside and listen yeah. to the different sound effects. And I, I did really enjoy like, oh, there's a bottle or something. I'm going to throw that and see if, if, if it goes off this edge here, is it going to kind of bonk and the sound's going to get a little bit quieter each time it goes down the side of the cliff and uh, throwing mugs around and stuff. And yeah, that, that, um, because I really enjoy the, just the tactile nature of doing that in VR, the, um, I was very impressed with the the sound effects that accompanied that at the same time. Yeah, my uh, workshop was a complete tip. <laughs> I would just get the last mask. It was like I'd just pull it off and throw it on the floor. Like, oh, where's the next one? Hang on. <laughs> it's just I love the, the the clonking sound that it did when you just threw things on the table. See, like, see just the I love the sound it made when you neatly put things back onto the hooks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That nice, satisfying <laughs> little click thunk as it hit. That, that was nice too. It served both audiences. <laughs> there you go. Those that thrived in chaos and those who did not. That's fine. Fortunately, with uh, VR games, they don't let you get too chaotic. They tend to just zap things uh, out do. of there yeah, all yeah, over yeah. the place and then put them yeah. back fairly yeah. quickly. So, Well, one criticism about uh, Mask Maker is object permanency wasn't really there. Um, it, and it can be a problem, especially with those little uh, poison, mm. anti-poison vials things. That they were really tricky. They would be object permanent in some things, mm. like the baskets, but everywhere mm. else, no, I'm going to vanish. Oh, so that was annoying. The only time it expressly bothered me was not actually objects. It was the mannequins. Like almost always, when you look for the mannequin, it's where you left it. Yeah. Except when you first when you first go to the second part of each area mm. where the mannequin on the other side suddenly just isn't there. And I think it's just Yeah, yeah, they go back into the tower. Yeah, they've they've gone back into the tower and you go For back into the tower and, and that's fine. But you warp over to them and it's like I should be there. I know I should be there because I literally scanned the face of this before I went to then build the mask. Mm. So that was a little just jarring for me. Uh, but otherwise, yeah. it, it kind of made... Like, at one point, I picked all the papers up off the floor and stacked them on the... <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <laughs> stacked them all <laughs> on the bench just to tidy them up and moved, like, um, the little statue onto there and tidied some of the books up and put things away. Wow. <laughs> Oh, I'm revealing too much. Um, I, I actually made it worse. I was like throwing <laughs> stuff about, oh, what's this? What's this for? I would often, what's, what's this for? And then just like throw it on the floor. Okay, so, so the, the uh, object uh, permanence was, was your mum coming into your room to tidy up while you were out. Whereas in my, in my yeah. case, it was it was a little naughty, mischievous uh, imp coming into my room yeah. to throw everything around back on the floor. <laughs> My argument was it's a workshop. It's meant to be a place of work. Actually, fine. Be anyway. better than that was you were making a mess and then I went into the workshop and tidied up while you were out and then you came <laughs> back in and made a mess. That's, Each that's of us frustrated with like, the other, not knowing it. If, if you think if it's a weird version of invasion in, in, in Mask Maker. So let's do our summaries then, shall we? 
starting with Jesse. Yeah. Your summary. Um, I you're right. This is this is kind of in that realm of a game I wouldn't have otherwise played, uh, but I'm happy I did. And you know, I it I I'm glad you picked it out of the 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 masses. You know, it is not a game I necessarily would have, but uh, it falls in a, a a category of games, as I said, that I do enjoy. Uh, of these kind of you know uh, medium length medium uh cost uh medium difficulty puzzles you know um where yeah they they create a little world and you go around in it and it's not something that really appeals to me that much outside of vr uh i don't play a lot of you know i'll play top tier point and click adventures like kentucky route zero or disco elysium but um it's not a, a genre where i'll just dip in like with this but yeah i mean i think the weird thing is, is I just got done in the intermediate class I teach. There's an assignment where you take a classic movie and you, you know, you write a concept document about, you know, the, the conceit is like, we're going to release a game along with the 4K Blu-ray of this, of, you know, Alphaville or whatever. Um, and this is one of the games I would love to see all of the documentation behind, right? Because there are these areas, like we said, where you don't actually carve the masks in the second half where it does feel like, okay, they had certain ambitions here, and then playtesting revealed the mass carving needs to be sort of a neat novelty, but we can't go too far with it. Or, you know, the fact that you get to make one unique mask of your own at the end, but there's not like a creative, uh, it's not like tear away quite so much, where there's constantly that going on. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, I think it was a base hit. I think they made a good game that, uh, you know, people who are attuned to its aesthetic uh, might very well treasure. Um, whereas I just, you know, found it enjoyable. Um, but it is representative of a type of game, I'm, as I said, I'm kind of glad it exists and I'm not sure how long that, that mid-level market's going to exist for. And I think I would be sad if it did, you know, much like people lament uh, I don't know, the disappearance of like the, the mid-tier movie for adults in the theater, you know, the erotic thriller or whatever. Like, I think the like, yeah, five-hour narrative puzzle VR, uh, you go into little world, uh, guy uh, makes fun of you sometimes. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'd, play, I'd play this again, as I said, if, if they reissue it uh, with better haptics and uh, I'll play the next game this company comes out with. Certainly. James? Uh, yeah, I guess Jesse, uh, John and myself are all going to say the, the same thing here, which is, um, Chris, you nominated this game and, and we all sort of stepped up to say, yes, absolutely, we will play this game. I, I would not have played this otherwise. I Getting a VR headset out, especially after the move, I just haven't, has, has not always been the first thing that came to mind as opposed to sitting down to, when I'm sitting down to play a game. Um, but Playing this for this um, show, absolutely delighted to have played it. Um, I, I was saying to you uh, earlier, pre-recording, it's it's one of those where, like with with indie games, a lot of VR games because they tend to be smaller teams, although you know, large for the type of game that this is because of the VR aspect, as we mentioned. You, I get the feeling that because it's not such a grand. Um, project and and it's not polished within an inch of its life this sounds like i'm down with frank praise but what you, you see 
what the core conceit was. Wouldn't it be cool if you could put a mask on and that would transport you somewhere um, and then you could make masks, other masks that would take you to other places? That's a, a really sort of clear core conceit and something that works really well in VR. But I feel like um, if it was pottery, it would be the fingerprints. If it was painting, it would be the, the brush strokes. With this, it's mask making. You can see where the attention went and where the what the the idea was and what the successes and and the uh, limitations were that they sort of bumped into and had to be creative to to work out you know even like the silhouetted characters that that's probably a technical and budget limitation to do that but it works so well and the fact that it's set in a place where there's not many people again probably a limitation but it sets an atmosphere and it, it works so well I, I feel like I understand more about where this game comes from and appreciate more about where this game comes from than I do a blockbuster sequel that people pour as much love and affection and effort into, but where it comes from ultimately is a place of probably make some money if we put out another one of these, um, which is really dismissive. <laughs> but I love the fact that there's a, a sense of a personal um, touch and a personal... Uh, um intention that i get uh with with a game like this and it just reminds me that actually looking for uh not necessarily a little played but lesser played lesser known game you can just it can strike like lightning sometimes and this game absolutely did i think it's uh, a fantastic game that makes me want to go back back and play a fisherman's tale and makes me want to next time i see a game on the oculus store front page that's being recommended to me Think about, you know, do I have five hours to put into something that I'm probably going to really enjoy every bit as much as anything else I could be playing? Uh, so, yeah, thank you, Chris. Mm. Next time you see uh, one of those ads for Lone Echo, you'll be uh, more intrigued oh, about Chris it. Chris mentioned yeah, this. Yes, I think I'll give it a try. Yeah, I absolutely. Did. Mm, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you very much for that, James. I really appreciate that. Um, John, what's your, your final thoughts on Mars Baker? I'm pretty sure that James has already kind of teed me up for this by, uh, yeah, preempting the idea that uh, this is something that I also, I don't know that I was aware of before. And the like 99% of the reason that I'm here is because uh, Chris, you picked it and needed to pull together a few interested people with VR for the show. And we all, I don't know. I guess we all sort of humoured you and thought, yeah, this would be cool. Um, and I wasn't expecting any less of it, honestly. Like it, it's turned out to be something that I've really, really enjoyed playing through. And um, yeah, absolutely not disappointed. I think um, if it hadn't have been like this, um, I would have kind of wondered why did he why did he suggest this? But it, it makes sense why, um, presumably. Uh, <laughs> to start cutting into your own final uh, thoughts on this now presumably this is a um a sort of a genre and a, a scene that you're more um more in tune with than i am so i think the like being kind of vr curious and um certainly extremely like indie game and small team fronted uh it's sort of saying curious so that makes it sound bad like i i love this type of little little uh indie game um with kind of a, a an unusual hook to it or an unusual storyline um and i think 
that the uh, recommendation from yourself as someone who's probably more so in this world was, uh, you know, highly, highly um, appreciated by myself. And uh, I know that we haven't managed to get any correspondence from any any listeners who maybe there's been people who played this before who will end up listening to the show. But I would imagine that the vast majority of the people who hear this will have either not played the game or have listen to that first 20 minutes of it before you you warn people to go away and play it if they wanted to and maybe there'll be a few of those who who do that but i mean if you're if you're still on this and haven't played the game at all and uh, your only kind of knowledge of it is what we've talked about i think it it is um definitely a, a high recommendation for uh a really high quality game of this size and scale and like this I've seen so much in VR that appears to be little more than like glorified tech demos or just like here's a here's a little mini playground with some stuff in it just go and make your own fun just like mess this up in a in a sort of a way that something like um rec room which it, it, it does end up being a fantastic experience but kind of is just we're gonna throw a whole load of stuff at this and you make your fun with it like we're gonna put some some like water pistols and darts and just things that you can throw around and interact with and and you kind of mess about with it but this having its it's much more solid narrative hook and tactile hook to it it kind of hits on a level that i've not seen in in a lot of those uh other similar type games so yeah i think high recommendation on lots and lots of different aspects of this and honestly thank you chris for uh for pushing it towards us all thank you john and you're very welcome it's up to me now to to, to finish this off i like theater a lot i like shakespeare a lot not all of these plays but i like them the mask maker or mask maker i should call it I always put a the beginning because it sounds better but it is mask maker has the same emotions. It generates the same. After finishing it for the first time, I felt I'd sat through a really, really thought-provoking and fun and entertaining play from an earlier era that was very clear and unambiguous about its message. And that's why I wanted everyone to play it, to experience that similar feeling that I got from it. Yes, to have all the mechanics and the... The, the the way it, it it sort of really leans into the medium of VR, like most other games, they, they really understand the medium. I don't know how or why, but they that feeling. I do genuinely believe that after playing Mask Maker, other VR games, not pale in comparison, no, are enhanced by its presence because it it gets you almost trains you for other games. And that was one of the other reasons I wanted to highlight Mask Maker in Volume 11. And I'm very happy that you three, and we all of us actually got something out of this and got something positive out of it. It is um, a, a marvellous creation. It does have its flaws, as all creations do. But seeing beyond that, uh, I generally walking away very happy that I've played through it twice now. Uh, for the preparation for this show and uh, I don't regret a single minute of doing so so it leaves me to uh, remove my mask which I wasn't wearing earlier but here we are I'm just going to 
take all the masks off and bid you all a brave farewell. I've been your host, Lisa Regan. I'd like to thank Jesse, James, John, Editor Jay, and all of you for listening. Next time in issue 515, we have the wonderful 101. So enjoy that. Till then, here we go.